Hello, my friends. The ArriveCan app is gone, and with it, pretty much the last vestige of the lockdown. Should we move on? Well, of course we should move on, but don't we need some sort of justice first for what they did to us? I'll remind you of what they did to us, and I'll give you my thoughts on it. But first, let me invite you to go to rebelnewsplus.com. That's where you can get the video version of this podcast. It's just eight bucks a month. My weeknight show plus four weekly shows. That's 36 episodes a month just for eight smackers. That's a bargain. Great content. But more to the point, we need it to survive because we don't take a dollar from Trudeau. Please go to rebelnewsplus.com. Thanks. Here's today's show. The last vestige of the lockdown is dropped. But will we ever get justice from those who did this to us? It's September 27th, and this is the Ezra Levant Show. Shame on you, you censorious bug. It's great to be back in the chair. Yesterday was Jewish New Year, so I was away, but I'm happy to be here today. Uh, When I was away, the government made an announcement that we thought was coming. They had sent up so many trial balloons over the week before. They finally dropped the mandatory ArriveCan spyware app that they had forced anyone coming into Canada to fill out, an app that asked your private medical information and shared it, not just with the government without limit, but also to foreign partners that were not named, the domestic quarantine, the airline rules about masks. It was all finally dropped, Canada being one of the last free nations in the world to drop these. It was so absurd. I think only communist China itself persists with many of these measures. So I think that in... Almost all ways, the lockdown is over. We still see some authoritarian universities like the University of Western Ontario and the University of Toronto still implement third booster mandates abusively and, in my view, illegally. But I think for most 99.9% of people, it's over. But it's over with great devastation. I saw this story uh, from the Alberta government. They said that because of pandemic reasons, students suffered in their education. So as a remedy, the government was just going to pass them and not really take their final exam seriously. That's really no remedy, is it, other than just to move kids along, acknowledging they're not prepared. But again, it wasn't the pandemic that kept kids out of school. As you know, the pandemic barely affected children. It was a, a disease of the old and the infirm. The pandemic didn't keep kids out of school. Politicians and bureaucrats and teachers unions did. And yet here is the Alberta Education Ministry saying that the blame belongs on the virus and their solution for two years of students who didn't learn was, well, just pass them anyways. What the harm is there? And so my question is, what do we do to the people who did these things to us? Let me give you an atrocious example. This was from early days. This is from Gatineau, Quebec. Take a look at this video. Some neighbors snitched that there was someone visiting someone in a private home 
in violation of some anti-gathering law. Look at this abusiveness. Look at the cops without a search warrant. Take a look. There's so many layers of evil there, how the police could allow themselves to be used this way, how the neighbors could snitch on their neighbors, like in the old KGB days. Uh, if you think that's bad, look at this video. This is from Aberdeen, Scotland. Police bursting into a home for the same reasons, but they actually went into the home. There was a seizure from one of the residents of the home of the stress of the situation. Listen to this madness. I find this video very upsetting. I should tell you, this is one of the cases where we hired a lawyer for the family. Actually, the trial is going to be next month. I'll tell you more about that another time. But look at this video from Aberdeen, Scotland. My Again, I'm not sure who I despise more, the police for bursting into a home, so much for a man's home as his castle, an ancient British rule, the snitchy neighbors, or the media and the establishment that just said, yeah, this is fine, or the prosecutors 
who are actually prosecuting that family next month. I think the worst video I saw during the enti entire lockdown, it's a video that I've shown you before. It's a video of a mum, Renee Altacritti. This was before mask mandates came about. She was simply walking with her child and a small handwritten sign opposing the lockdowns. That's all. She wasn't part of a large gathering. She wasn't part of a protest. She was just holding a piece of paper silently. Police swarmed her and pried her child off of her, her screaming child, and threw her back in the back of a police truck. Take a look at this atrocious, atrocious video. We're also representing her in court. Take a look. I've shown you a video from Quebec, a video from Scotland, and a video from Australia. Here's a video from Australia again. Take a look. kind of policeman would put his hands around the neck of a woman, literally choke her, for health reasons, for your health. What an absolute disgrace. I've given you some foreign examples. Here's an example from my hometown of Calgary, Alberta. Outdoors. I don't know if there's ever been a single case of coronavirus that was spread outdoors. In a big empty skating rink, a public skating rink that was open to the public, an invitation to skate on it, and a young hockey player named Ocean Weisblatt did that, police went there, pulled a taser gun on him, threatened to shoot him, swore at him, kicked him. I've never seen so, anything so abusive. And do you think for a moment that this affirmative action cop was disciplined? If you think so, the answer is no. Take a look. Hey, orcs, orcs, orcs. Oh, she's still on the fing ground. Oh, she's still on the fing ground. Why are you right now? Get on the fing ground. Right now. Ocean. Get on the ground before I fing teaser you. Ocean. Right now. It was crazy. Like, I was so shocked. Like, I came out here to play hockey and I got arrested for playing hockey. 
Like, I'm gonna have kids one day, I'm gonna tell my kids that I got arrested for playing hockey. Like, that just sounds nuts. Mm -hmm. Like, there's murders happening in this world, there's rape, there's sex trafficking, there's all these different things. Like, really bad things that are happening in this world. And we're getting punished to play hockey, playing sports outside. Well, I had seen a number of these videos, but the first one that got me to move from merely reporting to doing something about is the case of Arthur Pavlovsky. You know the story. He was feeding the homeless on a snowy day in Calgary. The cops came up to him, pushed him and pushed him, gave him a ticket for an illegal gathering. It was no gathering. I was so outraged. This is when we started our Fight the Fines project. Remember this? Hey, don't resist. Don't no, resist. he's not resisting. I Stand up. He's, no. I'm not Stand resisting. Up. You are a Nazi. Do it the Nazi up. style. Stand up. You're not, what? Uh, we want to stand up, but you want to lay down. He did that himself. Stay back though, partner, or you're going to be instructing, okay? I want to keep you My God, you keep you out of jail, okay? <laughs> yeah, sure you do. Let's do that. You would love to arrest me as well, you Why? Nazi. Why? Because you're sick. No. Yeah, this is sick. You get orders from corrupted politicians, corrupted leaders, and this is what you do. You got options. Another fight the fines case was, I believe it was in Thunder Bay, Ontario. A woman who was kept, cooped up single mom cooped up in an apartment for months with her daughter could not leave didn't have a backyard didn't have a country home but outside her apartment was this huge empty playground and she went out with her daughter the only people in the playground and another snitch and then the police came and arrested the mother put her in the back of the police car and the daughter said am i getting a new mummy now take a look we were on the swing for about 15 or we were here for about 15 or 20 minutes she was just on the swing uh, we weren't hurting anyone. We were here by ourselves. The police showed up. Uh, two officers approached us and told us that we were breaking. And they, and they put handcuffs on my mom. I told them that we weren't harming anyone, but that we needed to get outside and get some normality and just get some fresh air. We were talking for a little while, just like on a human to human level, uh, explaining like where I was coming from and all of this mental health the lockdown, two months being inside with my daughter with no support. They proceeded to call backup. The sergeant showed up here, same thing. I tried to discuss it with him. He didn't want to hear it. He grabbed my arm, uh, took my backpack off, proceeded to put me in handcuffs, uh, separated me from my daughter. I was taken up to their, the police vehicle where a cop did a body search on me and it was very thorough and invasive. From there, they put me into the back of the cop car and I didn't even know where my daughter was at that time. Uh, they went through all my things against my will. We were separated for about 20 minutes. He called me an idiot and yelled in my face. They finally came back and um, released me from the cop car, took my handcuffs off and gave me an $880 ticket. From there off, they didn't say anything. They just gave, gave me the ticket and told me if I didn't pay it, that uh, they would take my license away from me. And so we left the park, hand in hand, me and my daughter. That's how it happened. It's been terrible. I'm, my heart, my heartbeat has been like racing since this happened. I'm not, I'm up, I'm up till midnight, till one o'clock in the morning. I'm having night sweats. I can't, I've lost weight. I can't believe that we're living in a country that's capable of doing this to the citizens. That's seven videos I've shown you now. And what's the commonality? 
Each one of them was abusive. Each one of them was an abuse by the police at the behest of some political errands. But each one of them, or almost each one of them, there was a snitching element involved, neighbor versus neighbor, perhaps even family member versus family member, what they did to us. Never before have police been enforcers of health rules in this manner. Never before. Here's Adam Skelly who for the sin of keeping a barbecue restaurant open to happy and willing customers, had a hundred police, including the riot horses, dispatched to him. Outrageous, authoritarian, the kind of thing you'd expect, well, from Vladimir Putin, but it was done in combination between the mayor of Toronto and his tyrannical public health officer, unelected. Take a look. never seen riot police used without a riot before. Here's riot police stomping on peaceful protesters in Ottawa because they were embarrassing Justin Trudeau. Imagine being a cop who willingly obeyed this instruction. Take a look. Oh, come on through. Come on through. What is happening here? Wow. What is this lady doing? Traveling. Traveling horses. Traveling. They just trampled that lady. They just fully trampled that lady. They just fully trampled that lady. Even Jason Kenney started to resemble Justin Trudeau. He called not only 
Christian pastors and truckers extremists, but frankly, anyone who was against these illegal, unconstitutional, unprecedented, unscientific, and unhealthy lockdowns. He called them extreme. Take a look at that. An audio recording obtained by CBC News reveals how close Kenny came to quitting his job. What's the easiest path for me? Just to take a walk. I don't need this job. I could, do, I, could, I could go to the private sector. Speaking privately to caucus staff Tuesday, he said he's staying to fight for the identity of the party. I will not let this mainstream conservative party become a, uh, an agent for extreme, hateful, intolerant, bigoted, and crazy views. Those are the insults and attacks. He calls them extreme, but he's the one who threw a Christian pastor in prison for nearly 50 days. That was the bullying, the violence, the violation of civil liberties, but there was also the ridiculousness, the lies, the propaganda, the trickery. I thought it was so gross in Toronto when poor children were coaxed into getting the jab by the offer of free ice cream, free ice cream. Don't take candy from strangers, kids. They have a nefarious purpose. Unless it's the city, you'll get free ice cream. If they just let you just let them put some Pfizer in your arm, the things we did to our children. This is a picture from the United States of a band. How could you do this to your child? How could you let them do this to your child? <laughs> it wasn't just children, of course. Teresa Tam, perhaps the most asexual person to walk on the earth, had advice for those still having sex to wear a mask while having sex. Do you think there's any science there? Or do you think it's a creepy, creepy woman who wants to have authority over every aspect of your life? You know, I live in Toronto, so I see the madness here. I acknowledge there was madness everywhere. In the city of Montreal, they had actual curfews from 10 p.m. to 5 a.m. Curfews for the vaccinated as well as the unvaccinated. Curfews for the sick as well as the healthy. Curfews, something normally used on children or criminals curfews for the second largest city in the country. Toronto would outdo that, not for cruelty, but for sheer stupidity, literally painting circles in the parks, telling you you better not leave your circle or you'll get a $1,000 ticket. They literally built fences around cherry blossoms because apparently if you got too close to the cherry blossoms, you might get close to someone else. The cherry blossoms, I say again, there are no cases of spreading this illness airborne outside, but any excuse to control, and they got away with it. And here's my point. I've given you 15 or more examples from the last two years, and I give you those examples the day after really the last part of the lockdown is abandoned by a disgraced prime minister. But he doesn't feel he's disgraced. He feels vindicated. He was re-elected. Francois Legault, the premier of Quebec, is about to be re-elected if polls hold up. Doug Ford, the premier of Ontario, is about to be re-elected. I have no doubt that John Tory, the mayor who dispatched the riot police, will be re-elected. In fact, the only two people who lost their jo jobs over the trucker protests were Aaron O'Toole and Jason Kenney. And so here's my point <clears throat> as we long for a return to normal. So you know I haven't left Canada in three years. I haven't left since the before times because I could not afford to have a two-week quarantine on my return. So I want to return to normal times. I want to return to a normal life. I want to go on a family vacation again. I want to visit people in other countries as I used to do from time to time. I, 
I want to return to a normal life after what's been a fairly normal summer, and I'm sure you feel the same way. But just look at that Gatineau house raid video again. And I could show you a hundred examples. I could, I could show you a hundred examples from any city in this country or indeed any city around the world. And how can you forget what they did to you? Now, I'm not here looking for vengeance. I'm not even here looking for justice. I think one thing was we've learned from the courts over the last two years, at least in Canada, is you will find no justice there. The Charter of Rights means very little, doesn't it? Privacy means very little. These courts are as political and partisan as their critics ever said they were. Don't look to any experts or any officials for, for help. They were of no use. So if vengeance isn't called for and justice isn't possible, can we at least get some acknowledgement of the horrific wrongs that were done? Did you see the study in the Journal of American Medal, the American Medical Association, perhaps the most prestigious medical journal in the United States, saying that, yes, as the conspiracy theorist said, women who take the mRNA vaccine, well, that mRNA is present the vaccine is present in their mother's milk. So, hey, moms, just don't uh, breastfeed your young children. But imagine compelling a pregnant mother or a breastfeeding mother to take the vaccine on pain of firing her. Not everyone could resist that. It is no choice to say you could have been fired any more than it's your choice when a criminal says your money or your life. Hey, I gave him a choice. Your money or your life. He did have a choice. To give a woman a choice to take the jab or lose your job, that is no choice for most people. I don't believe that we will have justice, but I think what we need is something like a truth and reconciliation moment where those who abused us, police, politicians, bureaucrats, school unions, most unions, the media, the law societies, the colleges of physicians and surgeons, I think they need to tell the truth about what they did and why they did and how wrong they were and how vicious they were. And the reason I don't want vengeance and the reason why I don't even think justice will come or maybe even should come is because there were so many people complicit in it that maybe the best we can hope to do is have a reconciliation, have an acknowledgement and perhaps even an apology. Because the greatest harm, well, I mean, there were suicides and there were deaths and there were children who have been set back years and there were families who could not be there for a loved one's funeral. There were horrific side effects of the lockdown, but perhaps the most pervasive is that the lockdowns, not the pandemic like those liars at Alberta Health, Alberta Health say, but no, not the pandemic, but the lockdowns. That's what pitted us against each other. Family member against family member, friend against friend, customer against shopkeeper, neighbor against neighbor. The answer to two neighbors quarreling is not vengeance, and I don't even think it's probably justice. I think it's acknowledgement and reconciliation and apology and admission. But don't hold your breath for that. Stay with us for more with Mark Morano next. the worst
first socialist ever to run the United States as president. Barack Obama would seem the obvious answer, although Joe Biden is certainly letting the hard left-wing squad set the tone for his administration. But I think it could fairly be said that Franklin Delano Roosevelt did the most damage to America's history and culture of freedom and individualness. He would say it was a defense against worse things. It was the answer to the Great Depression. I don't think it was the answer. I think it prolonged it. His New Deal is echoed today by the Great Reset and Build Back Better. Well, there was a book written about the New Deal in 1932. His book was called A New Deal. And the question was asked, why should the Soviets have all the fun remaking the world? So Stuart Chase wrote, why should the Soviets have all the fun? Well, our friend Mark Morano, the boss of ClimateDevo.com, asks, should we update that? Why should the Chinese have all the fun remaking the world? Here to explain things, I'm afraid I bungled the intro, is my friend Mark Morano, the boss of ClimateDevo.com. Mark, great to see you. I'm sorry, I, I, I think I might have confused folks there. The New Deal, the question was, well, yeah. we can be Soviets too. We can centrally plan our economy too. That same question could be asked today with China in the place of the Soviets, right? Yes, and this was asked by Stuart Chase, who was a kitchen cabinet key economic advisor to Franklin Delano Roosevelt. He was considered the premier, I guess you'd call him socialist economist. And what's interesting about that is he said that, why should we, why should the Soviets have all the fun? This was, if you remember, when the New York Times was winning Pulitzer Prizes for their coverage of Stalin and how great his agriculture reforms were. Uh, by the way, award, journalism awards they've never given back or denounced, no matter how wrong that they got Stalin and his, uh, his reforms in Russia were. But if you fast forward, the whole globalist agenda has been essentially to, you know, if you remember back with the, the trade agreements and the, whether it's world trade and NAFTA and all these different you know, NAFTA style trades, especially dealing with Asia, it was always the argument that if we do this and China gets more power and money and economics, they'll become more like us. They'll become a freer society. And so the problem is the once free West has now become more like China. Mm -hmm. And you start to wonder, was it just like what Stuart Chase said? They, they looked to them and admired it. So in my book, The Great Reset, Ezra, Updating that phrase to, you know, to 2022, you know, why should China have all the fun? I include your own prime minister, Justin Trudeau, New York Times columnist, UN climate chiefs, Obama administration, officials from all the world praising China's authoritarian one-party rule for decades. And then all of a sudden, March of 2020 comes, we lock down. Suddenly there's no vote on mask mandates and lockdowns and <laughs> church closures, stay-at-home orders, etc., and the left loved it. Progressives went through the roof. They couldn't stop praising it, how we should have been doing this for climate years ago. If we can do it for a virus, we can do it for climate. And so that, that is what I mean by that. And that's how I'm updating the phrase. That's really, a, a really in, a, in a roundabout way, that's what the Great Reset is. It's why should China have all the fun remaking the world? The once free West is now joining in and bypassing democracy like China's been doing for decades. 
Wow. Now, in the middle of that interesting answer, you said my book, The Great Reset. Now, I know The Great Reset <laughs> was the name of a book written by Klaus Schwab. That's right. I'm it taking credit for his book. No, no, I, I wrote one as well. But yeah. Got it. So, and I wanted just to, I, I knew that. I, I, I sense that's what you meant. So The Great Reset is basically an opera. It's almost like Naomi Klein said, uh, in the crisis is an opportunity. Now, she called it crisis capitalism. It's the opposite. I've never seen a crisis where capitalism was the was proposed as a solution. The crisis yeah. is always the excuse for more authoritarian rule, for more surveillance, for more invasions of privacy. Certainly, the crisis the last pandemic was that. So you've written a book, The Great Reset, discussing Klaus Schwab's Great Reset. Is that what you're saying? Yes, it's called The Great Reset, Global Elites in the Permanent Lockdown. And in essence, I go through and I, and I cite heavily from Klaus Schwab's own works and his writings and his book, The Great Reset. But I give the, the reader the ultimate guide to The Great Reset. And it's a fun, not policy wonkish book at all. But it opens with a quote from Rod Serling. I go through the whole dystopian of how essentially COVID lockdowns activated this century plus year old plan of the administrative managerial state dictating all aspects of our life because they actually believe, and I'm talking about as positive a spin as I can put on it, the intellectual force behind this, the academics, the credentialed experts, they honestly do believe that if we're left to our own devices, Ezra, we're the unwashed masses. We'll create inequity, white supremacy. We're going to create environmental destruction, a climate crisis, that we need to be managed in decisions made on our behalf by people who are better qualified, experts, credentials, bureaucrats. And that's what Woodrow Wilson in 1913, his administration started this movement essentially in the United States. And that's the whole movement behind it. They actually believe they're doing us a favor and this is for our own good. And if you think back to March 2020 and the lockdowns, they were closing churches and small businesses and schools. It was all for our own good. They were masking your children for eight hours a day for your own good. And if you were a parent who objected, my kid, kindergartner doesn't need a, a mask eight hours a day. They'd say, are you an epidemiologist? Do you have a degree in this? You have no business. The people recommending this have decades of experience in peer-reviewed studies. How dare you question them? You're a science denier. That's how the managerial state works. They do what's best for you, and they treat you like an idiot, and they just tell you. So public health in March 2020 is exactly what Klaus Schwab really wants to have in the world. And I'll bring it to even a better example. Whether you're talking about a vote in democracy, no one voted to end gas-powered cars. No one's voting to end meat-eating. No one's voting to end high-yield agriculture, as your own prime minister is now beginning by banning nitrogen for. The nitrogen fertilizer and going after the agricultural revolution and yields per acre, and you're going to be diminishing your farms. Australia's done it. Europe's already on the way. It's not far behind. The U.S. is a little further behind than our plan. But no one voted to collapse energy. No one voted for shortages and blackouts, at least not explicitly. We were told it would be a painless transmission and we'd all make money. Uh, instead, this is the reality. They do it by bypassing democracy, corporate government collusion behind the scenes, make these decisions. And that's how now I'm in Virginia. The home, my home state is Virginia. Because California, through an executive order and through the unelected bureaucracy of the California Air Resources Board, banned gas-powered cars by 2035, <clears throat> Virginia has a trigger law that we follow them. So we're all sitting here shocked. We just banned gas-powered cars and didn't even know that was on, didn't even know that was up for a vote. And that's how the Great Reset mm -hmm. works. Is everything happens through the bureaucracy, the managerial state, 
and you'll be taken care of in your best interest, but you won't have a say what your thermostat is, whether you eat meat, what kind of car you drive, what kind of energy you can use, whether you can even fly. Hmm. You know, uh, I talk a lot about the ash conformity test. I, I played that video for our viewers before we talk about it, but sort of a sister experiment was called the Milgram experiment by Stanley Milgram, where I, I'll, I won't get into details, but basically someone in a white lab coat instructed another person to give electric voltage charges to someone in the other room who was getting answers wrong yeah. on a quiz. Now, that person getting the answers wrong and screaming when they were getting the voltage was actually an actor. They weren't actually being electrified. The person who was being tested was the person who was told to give the jolt. And it was shocking just how many people would inflict senseless torture on another person as long as, and this Milgram was so careful, had to have a white lab coat. That was the key, and a clipboard, and the language was very clinical. Every word that the white lab coat person said was pre-scripted to be very bland and author authoritative. The white lab coats are the so-called experts on everything from energy to food to viruses to transportation. The white lab coats have been wrong on so many huge things. But I think people still trust the white lab coats, don't they? They do, and that's really what—that's really the great reset as well. It's a sort of technocracy, and the idea of this is these white lab coats you mentioned are using the latest technology with track and trace apps, using digital banking, uh, central bank digital banking to cut you off from your own funds if you don't go along with what the white lab coats want. In the case of uh, Canada, we saw it happen firsthand with the Freedom Convoy and how Trudeau got with the bankers and immediately colluded with no problem at all. The bankers cut off access to these truckers to their own money. And that is how essentially a dictatorship by white lab coats. We were warned about this for centuries and everything from 1984 to Aldous Huxley's Brave New World. And I include references to that in my book as well. Uh, but essentially, the, the nuts, the, in a nutshell, what this is, and I quote, if you see the, the article I have at Climb Depot, I quote Vladimir Lenin, who is, his, his slogan during the Tsarist Russia was, the worse, the better. In other words, the more chaotic and the more you can collapse things, the better to impose a revolutionary radical transformation upon society. So again, back to COVID lockdowns. The reason we're talking about the Great Reset all has to do with the COVID lockdowns. That collapsed our economy. That collapsed the psych, the psych op of that collapse the resistance of the public to to any of these things. Imagine just um, three months earlier from March of 2020, who would have thought that unelected bureaucrat public health officials in white lab coats could be telling us that churches, schools, gyms, restaurants would all be closed, but Walmart could be open because that was safe and abortion clinics, of course, would be open. Uh, and of course, big corporate retail would be open, but all these other entities would be crushed and destroyed small businesses obviously crushed, and then a huge transfer of wealth, the largest ever. That is how you make things happen through this crisis management. And you said earlier, it's never capitalism. No, it's never capitalism that they propose or free markets or freedom to deal with the, the problem. The solution is always heavy-handed government. In fact, 
Right now, the simplified way is they're currently collapsing our energy, our food system, and our transportation system, our First, our first Amendment rights, free speech, and they're doing it, and then they're gonna, they're gonna collapse it, and then they're gonna say the free market failed, we need to nationalize food, we need to nationalize transportation, we need to nationalize energy. That's the modus operandi, and they've been incredibly successful. Here in the United States, the Republican Party, the leadership is just ass pathetic. I mean, you can't even watch these people speak. Mitch McConnell and the House Speaker, Kevin McCarthy, They've nary said a word about lockdowns and vax mandates, anything like this. To the extent anyone in leadership has talked about the broad economic form and Great Reset, they dismiss it as a conspiracy theory. Yeah. Well, it's terrifying when you link it all together like that. And I think it is part of a similar program to demoralize people, to undermine any links to each other and to the past. I, I think it... It feels really bizarre, and I and I think, and I try not to be conspiratorial. But when I see people like Bill Gates, who really comes across as a mad scientist, I mean, he's yeah. drinking poop water. He calls it. He <laughs> he had this scheme to put trillions of tons of dust in the air to block out the sun. He, you know, he's the virus overlord. And. The craziest part of it all is that his own wife divorced him because he was hanging out with the child trafficker, Jeffrey Epstein, and yet he's still polite company. Bill Gates is still polite company. I guess having $100 billion buys you a lot of access and forgiveness. I don't know. I, I think that things are confusing, and that's on purpose to demoralize us. I, yeah. um, I wonder if the pendulum will swing back. Let me play for you a quick video by a tech mogul, one of the few who I think actually cares about freedom. I think Elon Musk cares about freedom mostly, but I think he's compromised by having such an investment of Tesla in communist China, so he really can't speak out. Let me show you a clip from Peter Thiel, who was an early investor in Facebook. He was Mr. PayPal. He's, he's a billionaire. Uh, he, he's a Silicon Valley libertarian, which makes him rare. He supported Trump, and for that, he was blacklisted by the rest of the uh, Silicon Valley. Here he is talking about three charismatic futures. Um, one of them is authoritarian AI, artificial intelligence. One of them is Sharia Islam. And the last one is sort of apocalyptic ecology. Look at this. I want to disagree with him, but I find him persuasive. Take a look. Think uh, that we, we the, the future that China represents is not a future that is that is particularly desirable. I was I was struck by this when I was in uh, Western Europe um, a few months ago. That uh, I think I think the future is something that always has to be thought of in relatively concrete terms, and it has to be different from the present, and only something that's different from the present and very concrete can have any sort of charismatic force and and. Looking at Western Europe, I would say there are there are basically three plausible futures on offer. Number one is um, Islamic Sharia law, and if you're a woman, you get to wear a burqa. Um, uh, number two is um, totalitarian AI, uh, a la um, China, where um, the computers track you in everything you do all the time. Um, and that's kind of creepy, sort of the, 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 the Eye of Sauron, to use the Lord of the Rings references, right. watching you at all times. And then the third one is um, 
is hyper-environmentalism, where, where you uh, drive an e-scooter and you, you recycle. And uh, even though I'm not, you know, I'm not a radical environmentalist, um, I think if those are the three choices, you can understand why the green movement's winning. Right. Because th those are the three visions of the future we have. Right. And, uh, and the challenge, the challenge uh, on the conservative or libertarian side is, is to offer something that's, that's a picture of the future that's different from, from these, these two very dystopian and one somewhat stagnant one. Peter Thiel's a smart guy. I admire him. I think he's a creative thinker. Maybe he's just engaging in a thought exercise there. But of those three dark futures, I think authoritarian AI is the most likely to happen, the most relentless. What do you think? Yeah, I think, I think uh, it's going to be authoritarian AI followed very closely by the environmental uh, tyranny. And I think a distant third is going to be uh, sort of the Islamic threat. And, you know, the reason I say that is I just because of the who holds the, the reins of power, I don't see them allowing that uh, under this sort of great reset mentality. But the other two, they are pushing it hard. We have uh, Klaus Schwab at the meeting last time in Davos had the head of Moderna. I believe it was Moderna or Pfizer talking about new pills. And when you take these pills, uh, they're going to have a little tracking device in it. And that's going to ensure your compliance for it. And then he also talked about having, and I put this in my book at a previous one, putting an implant in your brain that will monitor uh, your brain and your reaction to an audience and your reaction to different things. And they'll be able to do that. And he asked the head of Google about these brain monitoring devices. And he thought it was very plausible and was looking forward to it. Uh, at the same time, he's got an advisor named Yuvar Harari who talks all about this sort of transhumanism, the melding of humans and computers. Um, so they're ready to, they're really going to push that. In the meantime, it's actually public health and environmental authoritarianism that we're dealing with in the short term here. And I think their ultimate goal is to get the AI uh, you know, down the road because that's very scary technology and they've already got people accepting the premise. We have people implanting uh, microchips in their hands and their arms to open up car doors or to show their Vax passports. So they have a certain percentage of the public more than willing to mm -hmm. bow down to this future of, you know, half human, half robotic and AI future. It's crazy. I just want to play a quick video of that World Economic Forum big pharma guy talking about microchips in the pill because yeah. he's oh microchips that's absurd that's a conspiracy theory okay well take a look here's the big pharma ceo getting really excited about technology that's being developed take a quick look it is a basically biological chip that it is in the tablet and once you take the tablet and dissolves into your stomach sends a signal that you took the tablet so imagine the applications of that, uh, compliance, uh, the insurance companies to know that the medicines that patients should take, they do take them. Uh, it is uh, fascinating what happens in, in uh, this field. I just wanted to show you that clip, Mark, because some people say, no, microchips, that's crazy talk. It is crazy talk. It's crazier yet to hear it from the head of a pharmaceutical giant. Hey, Mark, I want to talk about one more quick thing before we go. One of the ways we got to know you over the years is through your work at Climate Depot, really focused on the global warming schemes of the United Nations. And every year they have a giant conference at some other resort somewhere yeah. beautiful in the world. They've been to Cancun. They've been to... 
Bali or Fiji or one of those two. They've been to the nicest places in the world. Uh, this year they're going to Sharm El Sheikh, which is a resort town on the Red Sea in Egypt. And I'd like to hear about your plans to go there because we are going to be sending Rebel News journalists too. Yes, well, this is going to be the year, and I believe it'll be the first UN conference where they're going to try to solidify this. Because if you look at what they're trying to do, they're trying to combine COVID and climate. So what I'm expecting out of this, and I could be wrong, it could just be more on the climate end, but I expect a unified front. And I expect in the month, coming month, Ezra, more studies to come out, more media reports on how unchecked uh, COVID and unchecked, I'm sorry, unchecked climate change will lead to more viruses. And then unless we do something about climate, we're gonna end up with more COVIDs. In other words, if you don't support the UN Paris Agreement or Green New Deal style or net zero policies, you're a grandma killer because you're creating new viruses. I think they're gonna try to solidify that at this meeting. I also think they're gonna push the concept of an emergency. Now, Joe Biden, according to the Washington Post and Associated Press, was set to declare a national climate emergency in the US in July, uh, two months ago here in, in the United States. The now talk is they're gonna wait till right after the midterms, which puts it squarely in the second week of this UN conference in Egypt this year in November. It's very possible that Joe Biden could be had set his announcement to declare a national climate emergency, give himself 130 new executive emergency powers, wartime-like powers that will extend to governors and mayors, more thermostat controls, more controls on gas-powered cars, controls on car-free cities, all sorts of controls on meat, whatever it is, it's an emergency. So we don't have time for democracy or legislation. These are gonna be done by you know, government officials, unelected bureaucrats. And so I think Biden is set to do that. I think this UN is gonna set the stage because what they wanna do is they wanna copy COVID. And they've been very open about this. They wanna copy, the idea is they don't wanna have any more dealing with legislation, hearings, debate in countries. They wanna declare emergencies and go forward and do what they think is right, a la one party Chinese rule. And that's what happened. We're still living under the COVID emergency here in the United States. I assume you are still in, the, in Canada as well. We're still living under the 9-11 terrorism emergency mm -hmm. declaration in the United States. So do you get the idea of how dangerous emergency powers are? Mm -hmm. Anyone running for office, front and center on their plank has to be reform of emergency power authorization uh, if you're running for office. This has to be changed, the criteria and the length in which politicians can extend these emergencies decades. Hmm. It's incredible, and I think you're exactly right how they're going to try. I mean, COVID was the most successful lockdown in history. Uh, previously, lockdowns was a phrase only applied to prisons. Um, yes. And they want to copy it on the climate side. Mark, it's great to see you again. Thanks for the total update. And our reporters will see you in Sharm El Sheikh, Egypt. Look forward to it. All we'll right, be some of the you. only skeptical voices in the whole place. Take care, my friend. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right, there you have it. Stay with us. More ahead. Hey, welcome back. Your letters. Wild Bill. What does he have to say? The first time I heard this, I couldn't understand what exactly it's about. Now, I can't believe this occurred. Unbelievable. Teachers aren't heroes. You're talking about the uh, allegedly trans teacher with the two fake Zeppelins, as Rex Murphy would say. It is so crazy. I know there's a whole theory out there and David Menzies talks about it, that maybe this whole thing's a, a joke, a practical joke, performance art of some sort, because it is too insane to be true. 
Well, either explanation is atrocious, isn't it? And for the fact for the teachers, for the school board, for the whole school to be complicit with it, it just shows the whole point, doesn't it? One truth defender says, ironic how unimportant this man's true identity is to these people. Oh, no, no, you misunderstand. It's of extreme importance to them. That's why they're keeping it a secret. Tennessee Fiddlefoot. I remember viewing on a film a much freer Iran, a happy people with pretty much free choice. They were smiling. You know, Iran was one of the most progressive, moderate, liberal countries in the Muslim world until the Ayatollahs came. And to this day, a lot of people in that country reject the fascism of the Ayatollahs. Joe Biden, however, seems to want to strengthen them. That's our show for today. Until tomorrow, on behalf of all of us here at Rebel World Headquarters, to you at home, good night. Keep fighting for freedom. Well, folks, I'm with Armajit Sadhu. He's got an interesting story to tell. He used to be a Patrick Brown supporter. <laughs> He's not anymore. And Armajit, why is that, sir? Uh, first of all, I would like to tell everybody, I am in Brampton for more than 38 years now. This 37 and 38th year, I realized I've never, ever seen in Brampton for so long, for more than 35, 37, 38 years, bad mayor, corrupt mayor, uh, dysfunctional mayor, a uh, person who doesn't give a damn, using, abusing the city of Brampton. This is what I start with it. That seems to be the case given the amount of scandal and corruption we've seen in the last four years. But sir, what made you support Patrick Brown initially? I thought uh, when he came from the very, and uh, he played uh, with us, especially a man like me, who I worked with Kritian, I worked with Paul Martin, I worked with many, many senior leaders. I thought that uh, he's an innocent guy, he will come and help our city of Brampton. He will make city of Brampton beautiful, together, everything, all the dreams which I had. I was shocked, shocked when first scandal came. In COVID, nobody was allowed to go out. It was a lockdown. This man was playing uh, <laughs> ice hockey in arena. In COVID, we get no support from city of Brampton, no mask, nothing. Yourself should feel ashamed. The abusive, you are an abusive person, a repeated abusive, repeated. You take your staff to work for your leadership. You take your staff for your personal. You have no shame that they are taking money from taxpayer money in the, in the, in the, in the city of Brampton. On top of it, you have no shame that you are Firing this girl, Nikki Kaur, who was trying to whistle your each and every incident of the Brampton under her inspiration. She said that I cannot work with this man and to teach you a lesson, we Bramptorian going to elect Nikki Kaur so that she can bring accountability and uh, transparency in the city. And, and speaking of uh, Nikki uh, Kaur, sir, uh, we're standing in front of what used to be a window. Yeah. A couple of weeks ago, a car went through this window. It's been reported as a non-suspicious accident by Peel Regional Police, even though it's still under investigation. So I don't know how they come up with the conclusion before the investigation's over. But do you think this was a true accident or was this an intimidation tactic it against? It is intentionally done. 
it is under the investigation if you see the road from there if i show you nobody will park in the uh, there was there was no uh, it was 8:30 in the night time and right. everything was the whole parking lot was empty and the, if you see over there with the 90 angle he came and broke the door yeah. and window yeah. so that nikki should get afraid or should feel uh, unsecure yeah. listen these small things doesn't affect in the election mm. election is with what you have done for last 4 years patrick if you're listening now i am asking you you have to face the people when you go door to door or your team goes to door to door you should know one thing you yourself know one thing this is not india this is not pakistan this is not the third world country this is canada if you are thinking that you are that honest why did you stop the investigation let the investigation take place and get the result but patrick we know you cannot run with this nonsense you will be not only elected this time you will be kicked out of from brampton why don't you bring a truck and pack your luggage to bury from where you came <laughs>